the start of a new year, kind of, fifth day of the year, 2020, right? And whether you are a New Year's resolution type person or not, with the beginning of a new year kind of calls for some reflection and then some looking forward uh, ahead of time as well, just maybe some changes, some goals um, or resolutions, uh, if you call them that, to take place in the year 2020 in your life. They can be uh, physical goals, they can be goals at work, they can be goals in the family, um, whatever it might be, they could be spiritual goals. Uh, And so whatever the case, as we look at the year 2020, we are five days in and I'm going to choose to believe this morning that you are unlike me and you have kept those resolutions perfectly so far in the first five days. Um, And those are, those are great things to have. It gives you direction. It gives you um, an idea of what you're going to be disciplined to do, right? Whether that's physical um, or spiritual as well. If you have a goal spiritually, you also have to be just as disciplined to keep that commitment as well in your life. When you think about New Year's resolutions... Unfortunately, sometimes we could give them this definition. A New Year's resolution is basically a checklist for the first week of January. All right. Sometimes we could see them that way. Maybe in years past, that's, that might be accurate with some of your resolutions. I know it's been accurate of uh, my resolutions in the past. And uh, that, that happens sometimes. We start out with the, uh, a good heart, a good goal to see things happen in our life. Uh, physically, whatever it might be, spiritually, and that's, those are great goals to have, but then many times it's very short-lived. And sometimes we lack the discipline to actually see those goals and commitments through. And unfortunately, that kind of falls into our spiritual goals many times as well when we make a commitment to God in our lives to grow in Christ in some area in our life, in our family. And sometimes it's very short-lived because we lack the spiritual discipline to keep those commitments day after day after day as we serve the Lord. So here this morning, I want to challenge you. I don't, uh, if you are a Christian here this morning, if you have accepted Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, I think we would all agree that a great goal, a great resolution for 2020 would be that we love God more. Right? That would be a great goal. We would all agree with that. That we, in 2020, would have a spiritual year that really is unlike any year before it. Right? That really um, shows growth in our spiritual life. Decisions being made and kept and committed to. And that our love for God and our knowledge of God grows more in 2020 than maybe it ever has. That would be a great goal, right? And we would all want to have that goal. And, and really, as we work through this passage here this morning, that's what I want to challenge you with. In this year, 2020, and in every day of your life, have it be the goal that you love God more. That you know Him more. But as we get here to our passage here in 2 Kings, there is a challenge uh, and an encouragement for believers here. And uh, uh, for people, because what seems to be maybe slightly impossible at times can be possible to love God even more than we do now, to make more commitments even more than we have now. It is possible, and this morning I want to challenge you with something, but also end with an encouragement uh, as well as we look forward to 2020. First, or Second Kings chapter 18 here. Uh, if you've been in the Sunday night series, we've been looking through 1 Kings. And uh, this morning, we are really jumping in the narrative to 2 Kings. And for the sake of, you know, however long the, the series lasts on Sunday nights, I'm not going to go through everything that happened in between where we left off last uh, time and uh, what's happening here in 2 Kings chapter 18. But let me just put it to you this way. The nation of Israel is no longer one nation. Right? God's chosen people is no longer one nation called Israel. They are two separate nations that divided and what we read about in 1 Kings. And now we have the nation of Israel and we have the nation of Judah. And as you read through 1 Kings and 2 Kings, you're reading the narratives or the stories of these rulers' lives that rule both of these nations and decisions that they make and things that come upon the children of Israel 
and how God works through all of it and how he's in and is instrumenting and in control of all of it as well. So here when you get in 2 Kings chapter 18, there is a split nation. And we specifically here, we already read the first eight verses. In this chapter 18, 2 Kings kind of takes a turn. Because the first several chapters uh, focuses on the kings of the nation of Israel, right, after it was split. So for, for several chapters, it's focused on the kings in Israel. And here in chapter 18 is one of the first ones that we begin to read about the kings of Judah. And his name is King Hezekiah. And we see here that as King Hezekiah comes to reign in this nation of Judah, the children of Israel are in a very, very solemn place, you could say spiritually. Not only are they divided, but King Hezekiah comes in and is king at 25 years old, and he sees a major problem because for generations and years and years through first kings and second kings there is not a continual growth in the one true God there is not a grown love for the one true God in fact there's the opposite as generation goes by and generation goes by the heart for the one true God is diminishing in the nation of Israel and the people God's chosen people and that is where King Hezekiah comes in and King Hezekiah, I really love what the Bible has to say about him. And it's, it's an encouragement to us, and it's, it's an encouragement to have said about you in the Word of God that there was none other king in Judah like him spiritually before or after him. That's a pretty great thing to have said of you. And you could even make the argument that not only was King Hezekiah uh, the greatest king before or after him spiritually, but during his reign, you could make the argument that Judah, the nation of Judah was, as well, closer to God than they had been before and maybe even after. So what happened here? You have generation and generation and year after year after year after year of a decline in love for the one true God. And there is something as you read through 1 Kings and 2 Kings that you might say is the common denominator throughout the whole narrative of Israel in this time frame. I'm just going to read a couple of verses and see if you can pick out the common denominator in these verses. All right, This, this would be before 2 Kings chapter 18. If you were to go back to 1 Kings chapter 22, talking about Jehoshaphat, and verse 43 says, And he walked in all the ways of Asa his father. He turned not aside from it, doing that which was right in the eyes of the Lord. Nevertheless, the high places were not taken away, for the people offered and burnt incense yet in high places. You skip a couple chapters, 2 Kings chapter 12, talking about Jehoash. But the high places were not taken away. The people still sacrificed and burnt incense in the high places. 2 Kings chapter 15, verses 3 through 4. Azariah, and he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord according to all that his father Maziah had done, save or but that the high places were not removed. The people sacrificed and burnt incense still on the high places. 2 Kings 15, verses 34-35, you read about Jothan. And he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord. He did according to all that his father Uzziah had done, how be it. The high places were not removed. The people sacrificed and burnt incense still in high places. You see, we see a common denominator through the narrative of the children of Israel here, and they are these high places that are not being removed. In fact, when you go back to 1 Kings, in our Sunday night series, we're talking about Solomon. They were there with Solomon, and Solomon didn't remove them either. And so this is a huge problem, and King Hezekiah comes into this situation as king of Judah... And there is a glaring problem with the growth and the love and the knowledge and the service and the worship to the one true God. And there's a common denominator throughout the years. And there are these things called high places. Here we have a man, a king named Hezekiah. And verse 5 is one of the, the coolest things that have, has been said of anyone in Scripture, really. And what did he do to earn this set of him? What did he do to be a king in Judah that was unlike anyone before him and anyone after him? 
Hezekiah did something that helped him and the entire nation he led walk closer to the one true God and love him and serve him and worship him more. And it's in verse 4. And it's, important, it's an important truth for us to grasp if we're going to grow in our love for God in 2020 as well. So let's start off by just talking about these high places. Right? These high places that we're reading about. Verse 4 says he removed these high places and break the images and cut down the groves. So what's the nature of these high places? We're going to first analyze these high places, all right? To analyze something means to break down one thing into its intricate parts. So we're going to take high places and we're going to take a closer look at what exactly they are. Well, the definition, first we should just define what these places are, right? So this is a good definition. What were these high places? A high place was a localized or regional worship center dedicated to a false god, a god that wasn't real. It included places to sacrifice, burn incense, and hold feasts and festivals. You read that in 1 Kings chapter 3, underneath King Solomon. And they contained altars, graven images, and shrines. And you read th- that throughout the kings as well. So that's the basic definition. These, this was a place where people bur- were, made sacrifices, burnt incense, and worshipped graven images, images made of stone that were not real, that had no capabilities of doing anything. And that is what we find plaguing the people of God, the nation of Israel, and the nation of Judah. So what are the origins of these high places? Well, to to figure this out, we're actually going to go back a chapter here in 2 Kings to chapter 17. Now, you have to understand there's a break here. When we go back to chapter 17, now we're looking at the nation of Israel. But it's the same high places that we read about that Hezekiah has to get rid of in the nation of Judah, which shows us that they're in the nation of Judah as well. So the origins of these high places. Where did these high places come from? They got into the nation of Judah somehow, the nation of Israel somehow. You're talking about God's chosen people. That was, they were distinct from all other nations, not because of who they were, but because of who their God was. Other nations would not mess with them, not because of a talented man leading, not because of the ability of the army, but because of the stories that they had heard of the one God of Israel. How did we get to this point? How are there high places? In Israel, in Judah, God's chosen people. And there are these places of ritualistic worship to false gods. How did they get there? Well, it's important to understand their origins because you have to understand after their origins the results that that type of thing leads to. In chapter 17, the answer is that these specific high places and high places throughout the Old Testament that we read about in any given passage were found in the children of Israel and the nation of Judah as they fell into idolatry, but these high places did not originate with God's chosen people. They originated in nations where people's heart was not to serve the one true God. Understand the origins of these high places. They were made from a people group that at best said God, the one true God, was equal with false gods. And most of the times they blasphemed the God of Israel. That is who originated these high places. A people group with no love for the one true God. A people group, when making decisions, they were not making decisions to please the true God, the one true God. And yet that is what is influencing God's chosen people at this point. And as we read through this, It's really disheartening to see that a people group around God's chosen people, God's people, who had no heart for God, had such a huge influence on their lifestyle. Had such a huge influence on their worship. A people group that didn't even know God. That didn't even love God. And they were allowing to influence more than the prophets of God. Than the high priests of God. Than the words of God. Look at chapter 17, 
and look at verses 7 through 12 quickly this morning. For so it was that the children of Israel had sinned against the Lord their God, which had brought them up out of the land of Egypt from under the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and had feared other gods, and walked in the statues of the heathen, whom the Lord cast out from before the children of Israel, and of the kings of Israel which they had made. And the children of Israel did secretly those things that were not right against the Lord their God, and they built them high places in all their cities, from the tower of the watchmen to the fenced city. And they set them up images and groves in every high hill and under every green tree. And there they burnt incense in all the high places, as did the heathen whom the Lord carried away before them, and wrought wicked things to provoke the Lord's anger, for they served idols whereof the Lord had said unto them, Ye shall not do this thing. Verse 11 tells us the origins of these high places. They originated from the heathen, from the very people that God had driven out of the promised land so that the nation of Israel could occupy it. And because during the conquest the nation of Israel failed to destroy all the high places, because through uh, the, the time in the wilderness and uh, after and before the nation of Israel did not listen to God and, and marrying into these other nations, and because of God's punishment to the nation of Israel and going into captivity and all these different heathen nations, now these high places are introduced to God's chosen people. And after captivity here, some people brought them along. And after marrying into this family here, that tradition of ritualistic worship of a false god came along. And after destroying their nation, but not destroying the high places they built, they were still there in the nation of Israel and in the nation of Judah here as well. So the origins of these high places are they originated from a people group that had no heart For God. Let's analyze exactly what is happening, all right? Instead of God being the main influence in Judah, instead of the prophets of God, instead of the high priests of God, instead of the words of God being the main influence, it was these heathen people who wanted nothing to do with the one true God. How sad. And you can even look at verse 13 in chapter 17, and it shows that God sent prophets, God sent people to tell his word, to tell his truth. Yet these heathen nations had more of an influence on their worship, on their lifestyle, than even these prophets of God. So we see the origins. But as we continue to look at the nature of these high places, obviously we would say that there is wickedness involved here. And I kind of see two areas of wickedness as we read through this passage. So the first one is more obvious, right? The wickedness of the act of idolatry. God had already commanded the children of Israel not to make any graven images, not to worship any other gods. You go back to Exodus chapter 20, verses 3 through 5. God speaks to Israel and says, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them nor serve them. God was and is a jealous God. And he deserved and demanded the sole allegiance of his people, Israel. Israel gave God perhaps his Sabbath day and maybe occasionally some other ritualistic practices. But they took him off that number one spot. He was no longer the one true God in their life. And so one of the most glaring wickednesses here is that it's idolatry. They're worshiping false gods. This is a direct disobedience to God's command. But but what's even more baffling to me is that you see God's chosen people here, and not only do they disobey this command to not have worship any other gods, but this act, these high places led to further wickedness as well. And as you read In chapter 17, look at verse 17 as well. And they caused their sons and their daughters to pass through the fire and use divinations and enchantments and sold themselves to do evil in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger. They worshipped and practiced the rituals of other false gods. 
and direct disobedience to God's commands to them. But these high places even led to further wickedness as well. Things that should have never been named amongst God's chosen people. They are practicing these heathen rituals. This, these enchantments. Jeremiah chapter 19, verse 5, as the prophet speaks to the nation of Israel, is talking to them about child sacrifice that the nation of Israel is doing. How did it get to this point? God's chosen people. Not only is he not first in their life anymore, but these high places, this influence from this heathen origins has led to further sin that back in David's day, back in previous Israelites' day, they would have thought unimaginable. And this is where they find themselves in. Israel finds themselves doing things that are completely contrary to God's law because of these high places. Perhaps some of them gave the excuse, well, it's not our child. It's not our family actually doing the ceremony or action. We just watch. We accepted it, so it's okay because we're not the ones doing it. We don't know, but that is the situation right now in the nation of Judah and the nation of Israel. This, this is the nature of these high places. Their origins are from a heathen people. And their wickedness is they, they themselves were directly against a command from God to not have other gods. And they led to further wickedness in the actual rituals and actions that they did at these high places. And that's where Israel finds themselves. But I want you to realize that as sobering as that seems, that is not even the most sobering part of what is happening here to God's chosen people. The consequences of these high places. The consequences of these high places. We already looked at verse 7. The last part of verse uh, 7 in chapter 17 states, And had feared other gods. So four quick things under the consequences of high places that the nation of Israel, the nation of Judah, were undergoing at this point. And the first thing is this. The first result of these high places is that it resulted in stealing God's rightful place. These high places took a nation who had seen the one true God bestow miracle and blessing and it took them to a nation who worshipped other gods that could do nothing. These little statues, these images made to look attractive took the place of God. Let me put it this way. A man-made substance that happened to be shaped into something recognizable took the place of the God who did miracle after miracle in the wilderness. The God who did miracle after miracle in Israel's conquest to the promised land. And the God who had worked miracles after they established their land. It's pretty sad. These high places stole God's deserving first place. You have a nation that is currently split, but Israel was known solely for their God. The reason other nations fled and, and lost battles or decided not to mess with Israel was not because of their kings, but because of their God. The nation of Israel was known for the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That's what they were known for. And you know what's sad in this story? Is that other nations actually recognize the power of God more than God's chosen people here. Other nations still feared that one true God. Something, even though they didn't have a relationship with him, they knew they weren't going to mess around with it. But the children of Israel are here making him equal to images that could do nothing. Stole God's rightful first place. It's almost as if the heathen nations recognized the one true God's strength and power more than the people God had done it all for. You see, these high places were so wrong because they stole God's first place in the people's lives. Where once the nation solely worshipped the one true God, and once the nation got behind a man named Joshua, who stated this, And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom ye will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the flood, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land ye dwell. 
But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And you know what their response was to that leader? The next verse. And the people answered and said, God forbid that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. And now look at them. These high places stole God's rightful, deserving place that he demanded. He's a jealous God that he deserved from the people Israel. Now, years and generations later, what do we find? These images had stolen the rightful place of the only one deserving of worship, of the only one deserving of sacrifice, and the only one deserving of living one's life for. And they had stolen that place. But not only stealing, but also dividing. If you read through verses 7 through 12 like we already did and all the things that they are doing here, not only were these high places so dangerous and detrimental to the people's growth and love for the one true God because they stole God's rightful place, but in doing so, they divided the time, the resources, the talents, and the people from being focused solely on Yahweh. Now to being divided between false gods, fake gods. Generation after generation served self, burnt incense to images. Talented people took positions of leadership in these high places. And no longer were God's chosen people being a beacon of light to the nations around them, but now they were the exact opposite. They were as hypocrites in the world's eyes. And farther from their God and seeing Him work than they possibly had ever been. They were deceived, and they believed they could be blessed and serve false gods and maybe still at least acknowledge the one true God. This division of time, of worship, of talents, of sacrifice did nothing but hinder the relationship of a group of people and their God. Maybe at this point you're beginning to see the seriousness of these high places in the nation of Israel here, and the need to break them down, and indeed, This is enough reason already, but there's still a few more reasons of why these high places were so detrimental to the growth of loving God more in the people of Israel, the nation of Judah. Conforming. We already saw verse 11 and verse 17. The origins of these places are a people group that had no love for God, and now Israel looks exactly like them. Now God's chosen people aren't distinct. They look like the world around them. Their worship is exactly like the world's definition of worship around them. Their standards are exactly like the world's standards around them, which originated from a heart not to please God. Not after the one true God. That's what these high places are doing. They're involved in these rituals and these enchantments, And accepting it as a part of worship, not only did these high places steal God's rightful place and divide the people's focus and attention, but they conformed these people to a standard of people who had no desire for God. They conformed them unto sin. They conformed them literally to the world. Instead of a nation drawing closer to their God and transforming into His likeness, And becoming more like him, we find a nation accepting and committing sins that God clearly states as ugly and evil before him. With every passing year and with every passing generation, as long as these high places stayed and multiplied, the people grew farther from God and conformed them to the world system and the world's way of thinking for generation. Conforming is a sad thing for God's people. How sad that the things of this world, the standards of holiness, the standards of worship, the standards of morality, the standards of sacrifice, the standards of family, have been impacted more by the world around Israel than the prophets God sent in verse 13, than the words God spoke to them himself. You could not recognize the children of Israel and Judah apart from the nations around them. And what a shame, because they had something The other nations didn't. They had the one true God. You see, when you have God in your life, 
then your life should and will look different from a person without God. And that's what should have happened with Israel. But when you let high places conform, the difference becomes very blurred and not very distinct, if there's any distinction at all. Conforming. But then, lastly, not only conforming, but also angering. Look at verse 18. First phrase, what, this, what these high places did. Therefore the Lord was very angry with Israel and removed them out of his sight. There was none left but the tribe of Judah only. Also Judah kept not the commandments of the Lord their God, but walked in the statutes of Israel which they made. And the Lord rejected all the seed of Israel and afflicted them and delivered them into the hands of the spoilers until he had cast them out of his sight. For he rent Israel from the house of David, and they made Jeroboam the son of Nabat king. And Jeroboam drave Israel from following the Lord and made them sin, a great sin. For the children of Israel walked in all the sins of Jeroboam, which he did. They departed not from them, until the Lord removed Israel out of his sight. As he had said by all his servants, the prophets, so was Israel carried away out of their own land to Assyria unto this day. Finally, we come to the last sobering truth about these high places, about what they caused. They angered God to the point that he removed his hand of blessing from his people Israel, from the nation of Judah. Once a blessed nation, once a nation that God showed miracle after miracle and blessing after blessing to, and now a nation that God removed his blessing from. Our narrative this morning brings us to a very solemn time for God's chosen people. God's hand of blessing is not on them. God's will is not clear in their life. God's commands are not being obeyed. He's not recognized as the one true God. It literally says that God afflicted them and gave them over to the spoilers because of their decision to keep uh, keep and make these high places. And verse 23 states, God drove the nation of Israel, into captivity of the Assyrians. And now it's when we transition to chapter 18 in the nation of Judah. Beware of anything that will steal God's rightful place. Beware of anything that will divide attention, focus, time. Beware of anything that has allowed you to accept comfortable with something that God thinks is filthy and ugly and beware of anything that will steal God's time in first place and beware of anything that will hinder your love for God growing in 2020. What we see next in chapter 18 is a good thing. Hezekiah's action. Hezekiah's action. Now that we've seen the nature of these high places and the problems and the effects of these high places, I believe we can better understand Hezekiah's action in chapter 18 and verse 4. The first thing that he did, or that we see of him, is that he was in a position to do something. Chapter 18 and verse 1, he becomes king of Judah, and he is in a position to do something about these high places. He has the power to, he has the ability to, and now, just like every individual person, he had the position to allow or not allow things into his own life. But just like other people as well, like parents or leaders, he had the position to also allow or not allow things for other people as well, the nation of Israel. And he acts on that position. I believe the reason that finally a king recognizes them and does something about them is because of verse 3. Hezekiah recognized the problem of high places because his heart was truly after God. This had gone under the radar for generations. You have king after king in the same position with the same authority to get rid of these things. And yet one man finally becomes king. And because verse 3 was true of him, and he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord according to all that David, his father, did, he recognized them. He recognized this is getting in the way of us and our relationship with the one true God. His hand of blessing is not on us anymore. Have you noticed, Judah? Have you noticed, Israel? We're in captivity again. 
Have you noticed? Something's wrong here. And he noticed it because his heart was after God. You see that his heart in verse 5 and 6 as well. Because he had a heart of humility, because he had a heart not after himself as he took the place of being the king and had a heart solely for God, he now had the perception and the vision to see this problem, to see its effects and where those effects were coming from and to get rid of that problem. And that's what he does next in verse 4. Hezekiah removed the high places. After recognizing this problem and being in a position to do something about it, King Hezekiah destroys and removes the high places. Why? So that Judah could look to God and love and grow in him once again. He got rid of them. These high places were not going to stand in the way any longer if Hezekiah had anything to say about it. He wasn't just going to talk about doing it. He didn't say he was going to do it and not follow through. He made a commitment and he kept it for years as he was the king. And God blessed and they grew in knowledge of and love for the one true God. We don't know exactly how he removed them. Maybe he sent men to remove them, to break them, to burn them, to, des- to destroy them. But whatever it took because of what they were doing to the nation of Israel. Because anything that causes as much damage as these high places deserve to be taken out at all cost. And that's what King Hezekiah did. He takes them out. He removes the high places. But he's not done there. He restored God to his rightful place. As you read in verse 5 through 6. Now God's the main influence again. Now God's the sole, the sole direction of their worship and sacrifice. He kept God's commands, which shows, the, shows first that he knew them, reminded himself regularly of them, and that he lived them. Verse 6 says, He claved to the Lord and did not depart from following the one true God. God had been mocked. God had been replaced God had been rejected by his people for idols that profited absolutely nothing. Something had to be done for Judah and these people to actually draw close to God and grow in their love for him once again. They had to be removed. And praise God for Hezekiah's decision here. High places must be removed at all costs and it takes men and women like Hezekiah that have the heart for God, the humbleness to recognize it, and the spiritual discipline to make a commitment and keep it, and when removed, replace it with God, and replace it with more of the things of God. So, I said at the beginning, you may be wondering, I thought you said this was going to be a challenge and encouragement. So far, there's not a ton of encouragement in what Israel is doing here. Well, the encouragement comes next. Hezekiah leads the nation and growth, and as you read verse 7 and 8, and the Lord was with him, and he prospered whithersoever he went forth, and he rebelled against the king of Assyria, and served him not. He smote the Philistines even unto Gaza, which again is a blessing not just to him, but the nation of Israel or Judah, and the borders thereof from the tower of the watchmen to the fenced city. Once these high places were removed, God was placed back as sole focus in worship, and God began to bless. God restored his hand of blessing. Because he still had a love for these people. He still wanted them to have him first place. But they had removed him from that spot for so long. And when Hezekiah makes that right, he's right there. And says, I'm back in first place. You're serving me again. Here's my hand of blessing on the nation of Judah right now. Once these high places were removed and God was placed back as soul focus and worship, God began to bless. God blessed Hezekiah's life. God blessed the nation of Judah. Led Hezekiah and the nation of Judah into making better decisions aligned with God's will. You see that as uh, when it says that they rebelled against the king of Assyria. The future looked bright for Judah and Hezekiah. King Hezekiah has now laid the foundation for insurmountable growth and love for the one true God once again. 
before growth could take place, before love could be grown, before God could bless again, before God's will could be clear and known to Judah, these high places needed to be broken. They needed out. They were doing nothing but getting in the way of drawing closer to God. So let's conclude this way this morning. A lot of truths here to the nation of Israel, but can we apply it to our lives as well here this morning? As we close, can we allow ourselves to be humble enough to apply these truths? Can we commit this morning that part of verse 5 that's said about Hezekiah can be said about our 2020? That 2020 was a spiritual year in the life of, fill in your name, unlike any year before it. Now, we don't want to say after it because the goal is that next year we can say the same thing. But can that be our commitment this morning? Days that turn into weeks and months, can I ask you a question? Will you commit with me to grow in God and love Him more than maybe we ever have? Sounds like a great goal, right? But we also have to beware of some things. What has it been in our life that has stopped the love of God from growing in our lives? Our high places, you could call them, that take the same nature and have the same effects. They just don't come across as groves, shrines, and burning incense today. Can we take the next couple of minutes and answer some questions humbly and honestly? The first one is this. High places in our lives, we have to realize, originate from the world as well. All right? And I understand that sometimes a high place that takes the place of God in and of itself might not be sin. Okay? There is not necessarily any sin involved in trying to get a ball through a hoop. Right? Or hitting a white ball around a diamond. There's not inherently any sin in that, but when it takes the place of God, then it's sin. High places in our lives originate from the world. So whether it's an area of this is direct disobey to God's command or it's just taking God's place, we have to realize that the only thing that gets in the way of us loving God more doesn't originate from God. It originates from a people with no heart for God. It originates from the world around us and it originates from our old sin nature. And those are the things that we have to suppress. Those are the things that need to be in balance and heeded God's word when we come to them. In our 2019 or or in our past, has there been something in your life that has impacted your decisions, impacted your view of truth, maybe your view of purity or modesty or priorities or holiness or honesty, that your standard you have now What you have allowed is more impacted by people defining those things without a heart for God or solely through Scripture. We could make the case this morning that not only should we have it in balance to where God is the sole authority when we make those standards and decisions and uh, truths, whatever they might be, but not just to suppress the impact of the world but I would say we need to avoid it altogether. It's coming from a heart that doesn't love God. Why on earth would that be what impacts our worship? Why would that be what impacts our sacrifice? Why would that be what impacts our lifestyle? Our decisions on modesty, our decision on what we watch, whatever it might be. Why would we look to a people group with no heart for God? Does the world have a huge enterprise system with roads and highways into your family while the things of God maybe has a sidewalk in? Think about it. Is it impacting your decisions and your children and your family and the way that you are leading them? That's not a recipe to grow in God. I think we would agree. That's a recipe to conform to the world, which is what happened to Israel. So can I encourage you to think through those things? You have a position personally to allow or not allow things in your life. And many of you this morning have a position in your family, in your relationship with your spouse, 
that has a position to allow or not allow things in more people's lives like your children as well. The second thing is this. High places become number one in our lives over God. So not only do they originate from the world, but they also take God's rightful first place. Exactly what happens to the church in Revelation chapter 2 and verse 4. They had lost their first love, right? So you know that some high places may not be sin in and of themselves, but when they take the place of God, they become something that we live for, give our talents to, and spend our time with over our Creator and our Savior. And there's nothing inherently wrong with those things, but when they take your time, your talents, and take the place that God deserves, it is wrong. We could ask it this way, what takes you out of church? What causes you to miss time in God's word and in prayer? What do you live for? What would you never miss with your family while the things of God prove to be less and less important? Is it merely entertainment? Is it merely temporal things that will not last for eternity? When something becomes number one, it both becomes the reason for why you do what you do and or it takes you off course of living, living solely for God. Thirdly this, high places divide our time, talent, and focus. Sadly, these high places steal time that could be put into adding a new or additional way of God's word impacting you or your family. It divides your priorities. Some days God is important, but others he's not. It takes the God-given talents you have, and instead of using them for God's glory, they are now used for something temporal. And those gifts that are precious and unique are wasted for this world and for something that doesn't last for eternity. It divides your focus. At some points when it fits or is convenient, God might be your focus. But when it's not convenient, these high places are what you are focused on for yourself or your family. What are your talents put towards? What do you spend the most time with in your free time? What are you usually focused on? Fourth, high places conform us to the world and lead us to accept and even commit sin. We all know Romans 1, or 12, 1 through 2. Be not conformed to this world. Just like Judah and Israel, a child of God can begin to look like people who do not even know God. And begin to accept things and become comfortable with things that God says is ugly before him. Maybe at one point in your Christian life, you had a conviction about it, but that conviction became more impacted by the world than by God over the years. Does your walk look like the world or a true follower of a holy God? What you watch, does it push you closer to Christ or help you become more comfortable with sin, immorality, foul language, and taking God's name in vain? Does your dress standard for you or your family reflect God or the world? Your high places can put you around some worldly, filthy things. Don't give the excuse that because you're not the one doing the act, God is okay with it. Things in your life that conform you to the world are terrible to your and your family's walk with Christ. Maybe something or multiple things need to be removed and replaced in 2020. And then lastly, high places get in the way of God's blessing. Just like it did for the people in Judah and Israel. We see even in Ephesians 4.30 it talks about this. When we have replaced God, when we have divided focus, and when we are conforming to the world, and when the world has more of an influence than God's word, or really any influence, God cannot bless. When God is not first place, when we continuously conform to the world and let it impact us, we divide our attention. God's will will not be clear. And we will find that while maybe once in the distant past we walked and saw God blessed tremendously, now we are living a way contrary to him that is in opposition to him as well. So what are the high places from our 2019 that you and I need to make a decision and say, for me to grow and make that commitment to grow in my love for God, in 2020 I'm going to get rid of this. I'm going to put it in its rightful place I'm going to put God in his rightful place. I'm going to replace this that's conformed me closer to the world and not closer to Christ and take it as an opportunity to replace it with something that will help me grow in Christ. 
I don't know what they are this morning, and I don't know your life, but I know mine. And I know as I look back at 2019, I can see some high places. I can see some things that definitely did not help my growth for God. My love for God. And maybe the simple conclusion is this this morning. That teenager, you find a parent or someone you can confide in. That spouse, you talk to your spouse or your family. Or you go home individual and just reflect on potential things that can take the place of God and get in the way of us growing in Him in 2020. And then make that commitment. Have the spiritual discipline to live that commitment day after day in prayer and staying close to God. And hopefully we can look back if the Lord tarries at the end of 2020 and see a year of spiritual growth, spiritual love for our God and our Savior that was not hindered by these high places that have an origin of the world, that steal God's first place, that divide our focus and our talents and our time, that conform us to the world, and that remove God's hand of blessing. The encouraging thing is this. When we get rid of them, I believe just like Hezekiah, we're going to see God's hand of blessing restored again. He's going to draw closer to you as you draw closer to him. And that's what we all want to see in our lives. And so in 2020, can we make that commitment? Brother and sister in Christ, you control the things you allow and don't allow. Is there something that in the past and moving forward into 2020 would continue to be something that would get in the way of growth and love for God? It maybe has become your personal idol or maybe has pushed you closer to the world and not closer to God. Whatever the case may be, can we make a commitment this morning to grow in our love for God in 2020 by making some decisions to get rid of things in our life that will stop that from happening. Let's pray.